You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Man, let's pray. Father, we do pray you would glorify your name through your people. As we worship in song, as we open your word, as we pray, as we confess, as we take the Lord's Supper together in a few minutes, that you would be glorified through your people. That the display of your mercy and grace would be obvious and overwhelming. And that you would receive the praise that you deserve. So work in our hearts even now as we open your word that we might be filled with worship. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. Uh, Good morning, River City. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. If you need a Bible, some folks from our strike team will be coming around in a few minutes and can put a Bible in your hands so you can follow along. The theme for this whole series, the book of Luke as a whole, we find in our text today. Uh, Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Eighteen chapters over about four years so far, we finally get to this key verse in Luke's gospel. And this is important because this verse is answering, I think, two questions, an obvious one and a Maybe a less obvious one. The obvious one is this. Why did Jesus come? What is he all about? What does he come to do? And the answer to that question is right here, obvious. The Son of Man has come to seek out and save those who are lost. And we're going to get into that in a second. That's the obvious answer to the obvious question. Why is Jesus here? Why did he come? What did he come to do? Luke 19.10 answers that question. But the other side of that coin, the less obvious question that I think Luke is answering here is this. The less obvious question is, who are we and what is our need? What is our greatest need? And when we read this text, we might not think about that question. But I want us to. Because I think Luke 19.10 is also telling us something about us as humanity and our greatest and deepest need. That's the question we can ask. What is our deepest and our greatest need? Is it finding purpose? Is it finding some sort of fulfillment, however we might define it? Is it being encouraged or affirmed, being happy in who we are or who we think we are or who we think we should be? I don't think so. I think this verse is highlighting that Jesus came to meet our greatest need, and that is this, that on our own we are lost. And our greatest need as human beings is to be found. So this passage not only tells us what Jesus came to do, but it also gives us insight into those he came to find, which is us. So that's our big idea today, that we are lost and our greatest need is to be found. And Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. So let's read our text today, Luke 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. That's all we're going to cover today. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. You can read along in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen as well. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. 
He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's holy word today. Now we have here what might be the most popular Sunday school story in history. I know many of you maybe didn't grow up going to Sunday school, but for those of you who did, I'm going to ask for your help here for a moment. You've heard the name of Zacchaeus, and when you hear the name of Zacchaeus, you might start singing a familiar tune. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? I wasn't going to ask you to sing it. You can just say it. That's fine. Some of you are like, I've never heard that before in my life. It's okay. You're not missing much. Right? There's this simple song. It tells the story of this wee little man, this short man who wanted to see Jesus. And so because he wanted to see Jesus, he climbs up into a sycamore tree. And as the Lord had passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Right? And that's how the song ends. The thrust of the song is about Zacchaeus, and that's okay. It's telling the story. His stature, his desire to see Jesus, his tree climbing. Jesus calls him down, goes to his house. All of that is accurate to the story. But this passage is not about, as much about Zacchaeus as it is about Jesus. That's my contention today. There's this great story arc here in this, this picture, this narrative of what's happening in the life and ministry of Jesus This little arc, and this is how we're going to tackle it. That it's actually Jesus who seeks, it's Jesus who summons, and it's Jesus who saves. Less about Zacchaeus and a whole lot more about Jesus. Three steps, if you will, that Jesus is taking in his way to seeking out and saving the lost. Jesus seeks, Jesus summons, and Jesus saves. First, let's look at the first part. Jesus is the one. Seeks. Now, Luke tells us this happens near Jericho or in Jericho, that this is where he's at. He's on his way to Jerusalem. That's the setting, the context. We talked about it briefly last week, where blind Bartimaeus is sitting at the outskirts of the city of Jericho, hoping that compassionate travelers coming by might contribute to his needs. And we didn't talk about it last week. I figured we'd talk about it this week. A little background on Jericho. Jericho was essentially built on an oasis. It was known for its vegetation, its trees in the midst of a pretty arid desert climate. And Jericho, based on where it was geographically, based on what it had available to it, in terms of water and vegetation, became kind of a hub for commerce 
and economic activity. There were roads in and out of Jericho in all directions, up to Jerusalem and then out every other way. It became kind of this central hub. And, and, and Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, Luke tells us, is just passing through. 19 verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Luke tells us this because the perspective, those who were with Jesus, they knew, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. This is at best a rest stop. We're not planning on sticking around here in Jericho for the day. So for sure, the disciples, and maybe as Jesus kind of rebuffed the crowds a little bit on his way through, the expectation was, he's not staying here, he's just passing through. Verse 2, behold, Luke says, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus, as a name translated, means pure or righteous, which is funny because this man apparently did not live up to his namesake. I don't know if you've thought about that. If you're a parent and you think about naming your kids, like what those names mean, or if, if you're named something and you're like, why did my parents name me this? Zacchaeus was named Zacchaeus, and coming from a good Jewish family, it was a name of purity and righteousness, and yet the path he took in life was, well, anything but. He was a chief tax collector, Luke says, and he's the only person in the New Testament given that title. We meet lots of tax collectors. In fact, one is a disciple of Jesus. But we only meet one chief tax collector, and that's Zacchaeus. He's in charge, if you will, of the Jericho regional branch of whatever Rome calls their IRS. That's his role. And the system of taxation in this age is interesting. Because those who were collecting the taxes were required every year to submit a a predetermined amount to the government. So... Zacchaeus was responsible to give to Rome X amount of money and was essentially paid then. He took a salary based on the profit margin he could take above and beyond what Rome required. The margin between what Rome took and what he ultimately took from each taxpayer turned into his salary. So if you were were having taxes collected from you, you did not know exactly how much of what you were giving to the tax collector was going to Rome and how much was going to line his pockets. Furthermore, Luke tells us he was rich. Simple description. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man and his income source was tax collecting. So you do the math. He was seen likely as greedy untrustworthy, and because he worked on behalf of the Roman government, a traitor. So he's an untrustworthy, greedy traitor. Probably not real liked in society. Verse 3, Luke says that Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. It's Luke's nice way of saying this guy was short. He's not a big Man, so he was small in stature and despised by the culture. Now, if he was of higher stature, if he had more prominence in the culture, even if he was short and he wanted to see something, he could say, excuse me, make way, and people would, in an honor culture, make way for him. But he wasn't big enough to push his way through, and he didn't have the cultural clout, if you will, to to, to 
make a case that, hey, you should let me through to see this, this Jesus guy, this spectacle that the crowds are gathering to see. So he, he knows he's kind of out of options. And the language that Luke uses here, that he was seeking to see who Jesus was, I think that's important. I think it speaks to his curiosity. He's probably heard about Jesus. His reputation has preceded him. There's a large crowd. Bartimaeus heard it coming from a while, uh, uh, ways away. So Zacchaeus is curious. What is this Jesus all about? And I think Zacchaeus is curious about Jesus in the way that I am curious about estate sales. I went to one yesterday uh, just because I become increasingly interested in estate sales. They're far more interesting than garage sales, I think. Now, I'm not looking for anything in particular. I'm not looking to find stuff I can flip on eBay, although maybe that's a good side hustle. I don't know. I'm just fascinated by all the stuff I could find, right? What better way to walk around some random person's house on a Saturday morning with a hundred of your closest friends, right? That's, that, yeah, the one yesterday was an absolute zoo. I think we bought a couple of books. I mean, there was nothing, right? But it's interesting, and we've seen, I've seen some cool stuff, right? Most of it I'm not buying, but it's interesting to see what other people think is collectible or important to them, right? I think that's why I'm intrigued. I'm curious, I'm not seeking anything in particular. I'm just curious. And I think that's probably a good parallel here. We don't get any indication he, he knows who this Jesus is, therefore he's seeking after him. But he's heard enough to go, huh, that guy's interesting. I'm going to go find out more. He might not know what he's really looking for, this Zacchaeus, but he's curious. And because he's short and he can't see Jesus among the crowds, verse 4 tells us he does two things that would be almost unheard of for an adult man in the culture. Two things. One, he runs in public. And two, he climbs a tree. So he runs on ahead, which wouldn't be, uh, let's say it this way, it would be pretty undignified to run outside of a pretty extreme circumstance or a particular reason. So he runs ahead of the crowd, and then he climbs into a tree. See number one, right? See, talk about undignified. But he sees this is his only option to satisfy his curiosity about who this Jesus is. So likely he runs ahead of the crowd, likely toward the other end of the city where Jesus is on his way out so he can find a tree that is large enough and has enough coverage that he can get up and hide amongst the branches and not be seen but still see Jesus. So he finds a sycamore tree that's climbable, that's covered with enough greenery that he can hide out. Now, before we get into what Jesus uh, says to him, calls him out, here's my argument that Zacchaeus is interested in Jesus. He's seeking to find out about him, but Jesus is actually the one who seeks Zacchaeus. Look what Luke says. Jesus came to that place, verse 5. It almost reads as if Jesus is going exactly to the place where Zacchaeus is going to be. And then he looks up into the tree and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, you should come down out of the tree. I think this is a pretty helpful picture that not only a, of, of, a, of a curious Zacchaeus, but a very intentional Jesus. I think he's seeking out Zacchaeus Far more than Zacchaeus is hoping to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus didn't have to stop. He didn't even have to take this route through the city. 
He could have stopped. He could have stayed with any number of people who in the crowd were likely calling to Jesus, teacher, come stay with us for a while. Come have a meal. Come, come to my home. But he didn't. Remember, the crowds were, at this point, were large and growing and excited to see Jesus, very interested in what he was doing. But Jesus doesn't stop for any of them. He passes through Jericho and he stops right in front of the man he is looking for. And this is why I think that while Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, Jesus was actually seeking out Zacchaeus. Not to see who he was because Jesus already knew his name. Jesus was in search of a lost man. Jesus seeks. Two, Jesus summons. He calls him by name. Verse 5. This also tells me that Jesus was the one doing the seeking. He calls Zacchaeus out of the tree. And up until that point, think about it, Zacchaeus could have been pretty well hidden. Maybe nobody else had seen him yet. And Jesus embarrassingly brings attention to the grown man in the tree. And then Jesus does something I think is absolutely remarkable. Look at verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And then Jesus invites himself over. And verse 6 tells us that Zacchaeus did hurry down and he received Jesus with joy. Now, there's two parts to Zacchaeus's joy here, I think. Again, one of them that I think is more obvious and one of them that might not be. The first one that I think is pretty obvious is Jesus has taken an interest in him. That for sure would be a point of joy, right? I mean, this guy who has crowds following him from town to town is coming to my house? Well, that's a pretty big deal. But I think Jesus' call of Zacchaeus actually does something else too. Look at verse 7. When they saw it, who's the they? Likely the crowds, maybe even some of Jesus' disciples who were close to him. And when they saw it, what's the it? The it is Jesus going to spend time with Zacchaeus, going to Zacchaeus' house. When the people realized that Jesus was going to go spend time in the home of a vile tax collector, a sinner, that Jesus was, would, would literally risk defiling himself, making himself unclean to spend time with Zacchaeus, they grumbled. And this is what they say. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Essentially saying, how dare he? Doesn't he know, doesn't Jesus know who the Zacchaeus guy is? Does he realize what he is doing? His reputation his name means righteous, but he is the definition of unrighteous. Does Jesus, how, how dare he? Here's what I think is happening. This is the other point of joy, I think, for Zacchaeus. Whether he realized it there or he realized it soon. Jesus, inviting himself into the home of Zacchaeus, is taking on the shame of Zacchaeus. Jesus turns the disgust that the crowds had for Zacchaeus for how vile a person he was, and Jesus takes that disgust on himself. Don't miss this. Jesus gives honor to Zacchaeus by going into his home, and he takes on Zacchaeus' shame. This is the way that Jesus finds those who are lost. He gives them the honor 
that's due him, and he takes the shame that's due them. Jesus seeks, Jesus summons, he calls, and ultimately Jesus saves. I think that when we read this little interaction where Zacchaeus comes down and he's full of joy and they go to the house together, we have this picture, at least I do, of Zacchaeus and Jesus sit down over a cup of coffee and maybe pie or something and they just talk for a while. And that could be how it went. But what's actually likely is Zacchaeus put hospitality into like zero to 60. It's likely that Zacchaeus As they walked into the house, he called together his servants and said, hey, go get everything we have. Get the best wine, get the best food, bring it, call the neighbors, let's go. We're going to have a thing. Hospitality would have been huge in the culture. So it's likely that what's happening somewhere here between verses 7 and 8 is that Zacchaeus hosts as many people who'd be willing to come to his house so that he could honor Jesus as his guest at the table. I don't know if he had friends or if people were just friendly with him because he had money, but likely what happened is that people would have come over and Jesus would have spent time with Zacchaeus and with other people, likely talking about the kingdom and recounting all the things that Jesus has said and done. Jesus was the guest of honor now, and so the floor was his. Can you imagine the conversations that Jesus had with Zacchaeus after all we've just read about how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven and denying yourself and all of this? How difficult we just read in chapter 18. In fact, I didn't just say it was difficult. It's impossible for a camel to get through the eye of a needle right? We'll come back to verse 8 in a second, but look at verse 9. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. At the end of this interaction with Zacchaeus, Jesus declares, salvation has come to you, Zacchaeus. Jesus does the impossible thing and he squeezes a camel through the eye of a needle in that he has brought a rich man into the kingdom. Jesus does the impossible. He's the, Zacchaeus is the literal example of Luke 18, 27. What is impossible with man is possible with God. We see it here in a real person. Jesus declares that this lost son of Abraham has been found. He is a true son of Abraham. That's awesome. And what marks or proves, if you will, Zacchaeus' faith, we see a little bit of it in Luke uh, verse 8. Excuse me. Zacchaeus stands up in the midst of his own home and he says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Two things here, which are signs, if you will, or proofs of what's happening in Zacchaeus' heart. He calls Jesus Lord and his life is different. That's the first thing that stands out to me. I don't know if you caught it when you read it. When we meet Zacchaeus, he was seeking to see who this Jesus was. And here, he knows exactly who he is. He is Lord. That word is master. He's not merely an influential teacher. He's not merely a worker of miracles. Zacchaeus says, you are Lord. That's the first thing. Second, Zacchaeus' life starts to show, bear the fruit of repentance. Repentance and faith is an inward reality and it bears both internal and external fruit, right? A change of desire happens here 
We want different things. We are different people. And that starts to express itself and bear fruit and grow out here in different lives. So this greedy, self-serving tax collector makes a commitment to make restitutions, restitution to everyone that he has wronged. Humility and owning the consequences and responsibilities of sin is a sign of repentance. And Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of what I have to serve the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of any amount, I will pay it back to them fourfold. And if you think about it and try to do the math, this is pretty remarkable. If he had an accountant, his accountant would say, I don't even know if you have the money for this commitment, Zacchaeus. You're going you're gonna to give half of what you have, and then out of the half you have left, you're going to pay restitution fourfold, anything that you've defrauded. It was an over-the-top, you could almost argue exaggerated type of commitment. But who would believe him until they saw it happen? And I think it's legitimate, and here's why. Zacchaeus' words, it's not just... I will give half of what I have to the poor. I will pay back those who I've defrauded. He's not saying I will give. He says, I give. It's a present tense statement. I I will repay. No, no, he doesn't say I will repay. He says, I repay. I think it's trying. Luke's trying to give us the picture here that Zacchaeus has experienced real and meaningful change in his heart. The other thing that's interesting, like Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus is named. The rich rich young ruler we met before is not named. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's likely that the early church knew this man as well. Zacchaeus has experienced real and meaningful change in his heart. He hates his past sin, and that change is bearing meaningful fruit in his life. Now, we don't follow the life of Zacchaeus after this. But I think Luke is giving us enough of his story to help us see that his faith in Jesus is real. And this is the reason that Jesus took this path through Jericho to this tree on his way to Jerusalem. And this is the reason that Jesus took that road to Jerusalem and in just a few days would endure mocking and beating and would willingly offer up his life to be crucified on a Roman torture device, a cross. Luke 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The question is, what do we take from a passage like this? It's a good story. It's a helpful story. uh, Again, if you heard this as a kid, like it's locked in your brain, the elements of the story. But here's a couple things I think we can take away from a passage like this that are helpful to us. I, I have four of them. There might be others. First, this one. I said at the beginning that our deepest need as humans is to be found. If we don't acknowledge that we're lost, then we won't be found. Our deepest need isn't fulfillment of purpose. Our deepest need is not security. Our deepest need is not felt happiness. Our deepest need is not self-sufficiency. Those things aren't necessarily bad, but they are at best secondary. Because if we gain those things and yet remain lost, we will be still lost lost. But Jesus came to find the lost. So your deepest need is met when Jesus says your name and invites himself into your house, when you're found. That's the first thing. Second is this, and hear me, 
Nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Remember, the only one given that title in the New Testament. You could almost argue that Luke was inferring that Zacchaeus was the chief of sinners, which is language that Paul would use when talking about himself. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Believe this, Paul says, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm the chief, Paul says. Of all the sinners in the world, I'm the chief. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save people like me. Not people who have it all together, not people who look the part and do all the right things. No, no. Jesus came into the world to save blasphemers and hypocrites and angry people and hurting people and hostile people just like me. And then Paul says in 1 Timothy, he goes, I'm the chief of sinners. And in verse 16, just a few verses later, he says this, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the chief, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him through eternal life. Jesus showed mercy to me, undeserving, chief of all sinners, as an example. That if he's merciful to me, he can surely be merciful to you. Hear me. Nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. If you are breathing air right now, there is an open invitation to have Jesus over for dinner. If we stay in the Zacchaeus story a little, right? Get out of the tree that you've put yourself in, surrender your plans, and when Jesus calls your name, receive him with joy as Lord and as Master. What's impossible for you to save yourself is not impossible for Jesus. He finds lost sinners. That's what he does. That's the second thing. Nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. Third, don't miss in this passage the power of God's grace that saves. It's his grace, his mercy, his kindness that actually brings about salvation. God's sovereign grace. Theologian J.C. Ryle on this passage and this, in his commentary on Luke says this. I thought it was helpful, so I'm going to give it to you unvarnished. Here's Ryle. It is impossible to conceive a more striking instance than that before us, speaking of this interaction with Zacchaeus. Unasked, our Lord stops and speaks to Zacchaeus. Unasked, he offers himself to be a guest in the house of a sinner. Unasked, he sends into the heart of a tax collector the renewing grace of the Spirit and puts him that very day among the children of God unasked. The Apostle John writes in his gospel, chapter 1, that Jesus came to his own. His own did not receive him. Not all the descendants of Abraham received Jesus, who was the promise of Abraham. But John writes this, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, born of God. This is God's amazing grace. John would later write in 1 John, he says, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on us 
that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Don't miss the power of God's grace at work to save sinners. And fourth, and this is the fourth takeaway for us, it's the power of God's grace that saves and it's the power of His grace that sanctifies, that changes us. When Jesus finds us, it means we now belong to Him. We're in His family. And when Jesus saves us, it means we are never the same. Our identity changes. We are now new creations in Christ Jesus, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We are changed and we are being changed. And that change is visible over time by God's grace. That's why I asked the question I did at the beginning about what we need. What are we looking for? Because if we think we're just a little bit defective, that we've just got a few things we need to improve, to work on, then we end up looking for a strategy or a system to develop what we feel is lacking in us. And we end up, we don't need a a father who gives us a new identity and makes us his children. Instead, we seek after a following who will just affirm whatever identity or image we want to portray of ourselves. We don't need a father to change us. We need people to follow and affirm us. We don't need a savior, literally Christ. We don't need a Christ. We seek after someone who will just coach us up, help us be better versions of ourselves over time through technique and discipline. But we're not just a little defective. We're lost. And we need to be found. And so if we have faith in Jesus, it is God's sovereign grace that brings us to salvation, and it is God's sovereign grace at work in us to change us, bringing about our sanctification. That means it is grace that is at work in you to change you to look more like Jesus. This is why Jesus came, to seek out those who were lost, to summon you and to summon me from spiritual death to spiritual life, to call us out of the trees of our foolish way of thinking, to invite us to himself to save us, to change us entirely so that we might be new creations, that we might be called children of God. This comes through faith in Christ Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Praise God for his sovereign and saving grace in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.